Welcome to System and Soul, the podcast focused on the human energy that runs your business. I'm Chris White, along with my co-host, Benj Miller. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. Jake, drop that beat. Three, two, one. System and Soul, welcome back. Your host for the day, running solo without my buddy Chris White. This is Benj Miller. And today we're going to have some fun. We've got Jeremy Miner. Jeremy is the chairman of Seventh Level, a global sales training company. He has frequented the fastest growing companies list. The guy is all about helping people break through in the, in some sales. So today we're probably going to get into sales. So if you're looking for some organizational operational tips fast forward today's not today we're gonna we're gonna talk about outgoing outward looking things unless we don't i don't know jeremy welcome <laughs> hey it's what it's your show it's whatever you want me to uh go over i'm i'm game to help your audience to the best of the best of my ability be able to sell more of their products and services and do it in a way where it's a win-win for themselves and their their prospects where the prospects view that it's far less risky to do business with you and purchase what you're offering to solve their problems and get where they want to be than it is for them to do nothing at all staying in the status quo their problems stay the same and nothing ever changes which is more risky boom well we're done for the day come back <laughs> next week i'm just kidding um yes a hundred percent i love that it's like de-risking the purchase right yeah. first before we get in here we got to start we need a non-Googleable fact, something interesting about Jeremy Miner. Let us into your inside world. Well, you know, I'm a crazy guy, but I am a big, um, I am a big avid reader and book collector. So a lot of people wouldn't know that. So I read on average about five books a month. Uh, since I got my sales career when I was 21 years of age, my first seminar I went to was by a guy named Brian Tracy. I'm actually really good friends with him now. If you've ever heard of Brian Tracy, he's written like 40 or 50 books. And he was up on stage. And the first thing I heard, he's like, make your car a university on wheels. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So instead of listening to like CNN or Fox News or, you know, Britney Spears or the latest, greatest rap song, because none of those things make you <laughs> any money, maybe I should be learning while I'm driving around. So since then, I've been a fanatic. So I read three books a month, like religiously on persuasion, influence, sales, right? Psych human psychology. And then I listen to two audiobooks. And I've done that for about 21 years since I got into sales. So that's, it's about 1400 or so, some books. And I collect books, like very old books. So I have lots of books from like this pre-Civil War days. I have a book by, uh, that was some type of journal that Ulysses S. Grant had. So I'm a big collector of these works. And have them all framed in my office in my house. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a weirdo with books. That's super cool. Which book have you recommended or given away the most? Uh, I think a good book, like if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, let's say you're a sales professional or executive, I think a good book for you to really look at like how buying behaviors have changed, how consumers have really changed since the, since the, especially the internet, especially the power of social media has been so prevalent, even in the last few years, is a book by Daniel Pink, and it's called To Sell is Human. To Sell is Human. It's a really good book on theory. 
And of course, my book that comes out that's being published by Morgan James this fall uh, with my co-author, Jerry Acuff, CEO of Delta Point, it's called The New Model Selling to an Unsellable Generation. That's going to be a big book. So Mm -hmm. we're looking forward to that. So it'll be everywhere here in about six months. So pick that one up possibly. Give us a sneak peek. What is the unsellable generation? Well, we talk about really how how the consumer has changed. So we talk a lot about um, buying behavior. So especially with the power of the internet, social media, we just live in, in what people might have called it is the information age, right? So all these pushy pressure sales te- techniques, they just, they're not as effective as they might've been 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, because even 20 years ago, what was the bridge between the consumer and or between the consumer and a company. It was you, the salesperson, like people were educated about what you offer besides like TV, radio, the newspaper. That's how people found out about what you actually had to offer, what your solution. But with the internet now, and especially with social media, we just live in a different age. Like your prospects can know everything about you by simply doing a Google search on their smartphone. They know all about your competitors. They know how long you've been in business. They know what your reviews are. They know what your customers say about you. They know about your price points. They know everything about you by simply, like I said, going to Google on their phone. And because of that newfound power, they'll no longer be manipulated or pressured by pushy salespeople because they know they have many options to choose exactly what you have to offer. So we have to start thinking differently. And we have to start thinking like my good friend Jerry says, we have to start thinking more like a buyer and stop acting like a seller. And once we understand the psychology of why people buy or they don't buy, then as a sales professional or business owner, we can adapt to that and make sure a lot of people buy so they can get their problems solved. It's a a whole different way of thinking. Because in our mind, there's so many salespeople and companies that still teach that selling is like adversarial, right? It's like you against the prospect, trying to win them over, manipulate them, pressure them into buying what you want them to so you can make money. See, that's what average salespeople do in our day and age. That's what average companies do. If you want to be great, if you want to be a sales professional that makes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year or more, if you want to be a business that's like scaling all the time, you have to think that selling is more collaborative. Okay, It's you working with the prospect to help them find and solve problems that they probably didn't even know they had. And when you're able to do that, because one thing we have to understand, I think you know this just as well as I do, is that most of your prospects, when you first start talking to them, don't even realize they have a problem. Or maybe they they know they have a problem, but they don't really know how bad that problem is. Or they don't understand maybe the consequences of what will happen if they don't do anything about solving the problem. Right. Right, the opportunity of fixing it. Yeah, they don't understand that. But once you learn advanced questioning, you learn advanced delivery of your questions, the tonality and when to ask the right questions at the right time, not only can you help them find that they have one problem, but now you can also help them find that they really have two or three or four other problems they didn't even realize they had. And when they start to realize that, not by you telling them, because that's going to go in one ear out the other, you're biased, you're the salesperson, but by asking the right questions, it allows them to tell themselves and to find out what the root cause of those problems are and how those problems are affecting them, then they start to view you much differently. They start to view you as like the expert or the trusted authority who's going to get them what they want, the results, whereas all your competition they view is just you know a bunch of other companies or, or salespeople trying to stuff their solution down their throat. And it becomes really easy to sell at that point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, man, 
I don't even think we need this format, but let's stick to it. So what are the top three things on your mind today? Uh, top three. So, yeah. So you asked that question, like, what are the top three things that, that I think of as like an entrepreneur? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Just, yeah. Or, or what, what are you spending your time thinking about, like wondering about right yeah. now, just in, in, whether it's sales, whether it's business, yeah. entrepreneurship, leadership, you know, what, where are you spending your, your yeah. mental energy right now? Well, I think as a business owner, like once you, you know, we were, you know, we were ranked by, you know, the Inc. 5000 list and Inc. Magazine is the, the fastest growing sales training company last year. And I think we're on pace to get that probably this year because we've like more than tripled our revenue. But I think once you get to that point, it's like, okay, what's gotten us here is not going to get us here. You know, like we're, we're a multiple eight figure business, but what's gotten us to that? How's it going to get us to a nine figure business? Like, what do we have to change? Like, we have to change our whole way of thinking. So that's what I'm constantly thinking about. You know, I, I brought in uh, a CEO of the company about a, almost two years ago, and that really took us, like, we had started a year before. We were just kind of here figuring it out. It's like being an assistant and one sales guy, right? And then I'm like, okay, this is not going to scale like this. We're never going to become an eight-figure company, let alone nine. So you have to bring in the right people, right? Because I might be great at training companies and salespeople how to sell more. And that's great, but I might not be, and I'm not very great at running a business and knowing how to scale. Like, yeah. how do you know who to hire and the right team? So big thing on my mind and my CEO's mind now, who's my business partner, Matt, is like, okay, our team members that we have now have gotten us here. Our vendors that we're using for marketing, all these other things have gotten us here. But if we keep doing that's gotten us here, it's never gonna get us here. So we have to we have to bring on new team members, more team members, more talented people in certain areas of our business, uh, let's say marketing or whatever it is, operations, to get us here. So that's constantly on our mind right now is like, who do we bring in that takes us from here, which is great, we've done really good, but we don't want to stay there to get us up to here. And I think as a business owner, you always have to constantly be thinking of that. You can never stay stagnant because as you know, if you stagnate, you're just it's over. Yeah. And I think the hardest part about that is the pruning part to bring in the new, you've got to be willing to get rid of the things that aren't working the way that they should be or working the way that you need them to be for the future of what you need the company to be. So. I totally agree. You have to trim, you have to trim some of the, the fat off that's just lagging, lagging the tree yeah. because as we've done that, you know, and it's sad because there's just some people that just aren't ready to step up to the plate that you might hire. You want to give them the best opportunity, but after a while, like if you're dragging them along, like you got to have somebody like, let's say you're not great at marketing. You need to have a great chief marketing officer who is, you need to be able to have a good media buying team. You need to be able to have great copywriters. And if you don't have, if you don't have that, you've got to replace that quickly because it's opportunity cost. You know, you yeah. might hire somebody and if after four or five months, it's just not producing, well, it takes another three or four months to another onboard another person, get them trained in your processes. It's like, it could drag you down for a whole year. So you've got to be able to act quickly for sure. So painful. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. Which I, I almost said, you know, I, I almost used the word level up here, you know, to level up, you've, you've got to go through the process you're talking about, which you, the name of your company is seventh level. Why is that? <laughs> Well, seventh level. Um, so my my background in college is behavioral science and human psychology. That was my major. Although I dropped out my senior year, I still have thirteen credits left. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. But my my minor was uh, was actually 
uh, new New Testament Christianity, which I know is, is kind of weird, but I just love historical things. Like I loved learning about the early church and what they believed in and compared to like how Christians believe now. And there's a lot of differences. But one thing I learned um, was in ancient Hebrew, uh, they believed in, in the, you know, Sadducees, Pharisees at the time believed in seven levels of heaven. Right. So in order to obtain the seventh level of heaven, which was to uh, become like God or become perfected in God, you were like a perfect person or whatever. uh, They called it the seventh level of heaven. So I'm like, okay, I love that seventh level. So when I went to brand the company, organize it, I'm like, we want to be the perfected company, the go to company for sales training for companies to get to a higher level than they ever thought they could. Nice. since here's come seventh level. People always ask me like, oh, did you get like a level out? No, it's not a level, but yeah, that's why we're called seventh level. No, I like it. I, I love the etymology there, the, the thinking that goes into naming and branding and all that. So that, that's, that's really Crazy fun. Stuff. Hey everybody, Benj Miller here. And I just launched something I'm really excited about. It's called the 261. As leaders, we have 261, maybe more things bouncing around in our head things we've learned, things we know we're supposed to do, things we're trying to remember to be the intentional leaders that we want to be. We put them on a calendar, mapped them out. There's 261 business work days in the year. And so we're going to send you an email every day with one micro thought, micro action to keep moving the ball forward in your personal life as a leader and for the sake of your business. So will you join us? Go to the261.com and just sign up, give us your email. It's free. You can unsubscribe if you hate it, but I think you'll enjoy the clarity that comes from just one thing a day to pay attention to, question to ask, a thought, an action, an exercise, just one simple thing a day. Here we go. See you soon. All right, number two, what, what's the second top thing on your list? Uh, the second thing, top thing on my list is, is how do we expand our social media? So I think as a business owner, and this is something newer that, you know, our company, we're going into our fourth year of business right now. So it's not like we've been around for 30 or 40 or 50 years or something like a lot of our competitors are. But, you know, how do we really how do we make social media a bigger thing? And really, over the last like even six months, we've really started to expand social media. Like I didn't even have an, a, a, an account on Instagram until November. And we got on Instagram and we already have like 75,000 freaking followers. That thing is going off the change. I think we brought in like. 12,000 followers last week just from one reel that I did. So now we're like, oh, even with organic on IG, if I start doing these reels every day, start posting two or three reels and stuff, we can bring in thousands of people that we're targeting. So we're targeting entrepreneurs, we're targeting coaches, we're targeting salespeople, we're targeting anybody who wants to sell more of their products and services. So how do you get them to know you? Create a freaking reel or a post with like a one minute training, or if it's a post, maybe a two or three minute training, let them learn about you. They're like, oh, wow, that's really good. Like that could help me here. Like I want more. And it just brings people in. We got, we opened up a TikTok account three weeks ago, three weeks ago. (laughs) And I'm like, I've been telling my team like, hey, I think this TikTok thing, because my kids are constantly on it. They're teenagers and like, dad, you got to get on TikTok. And I see all these people dancing. I'm like, oh, that's stupid. And then my, my daughter sets me down. She's like, no, 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 there's business people on here. Like I follow this guy and I, you know, I follow, you know, rich dad, poor dad on here. And I'm like, oh, I know that guy. He lives down the street. Yeah. So I get on TikTok and we start doing these reels. And in three weeks we have over 15,000 followers. 
And I'm like, this thing is like the wild, wild west. You know, I did one reel that had like over 600,000 views. And I'm like, this thing is the wild, wild west. Like I don't spend any money on this. And thousands of people are coming in, booking, and people are booking calls from these reels. So I think as a business owner, you really have to take social media seriously. And it, you know, sad to say, it took us a couple of years to figure that out. Uh, but you really got to get on social media. So now we're like, how do we expand this? How do we bring in more people to to do even more? You know, now we have a videographer that follows me around and like basically films me all. Yes, day yeah. Stuff. So just things like that. You know, yeah. I mean, I. I it's probably been a decade ago since Gary V said that every company needs to start thinking about themselves as a media company. And I think that B2C caught on to that quicker, but I want to pause because you're, I think a lot of people are going to discount what you just said that are in a B2B space. And I want to remind them that you are B2B, right? Yeah, we, we do. I mean, we train salespeople that sell B2B, you know, we, I mean, we have, we have even a well, but you're companies. selling to businesses. Businesses are buying your product, your service, you know, and and that's the opportunity. So I don't I don't know that there's an industry that is where this doesn't necessarily apply. Maybe if you're selling oil, you know, and you've got five buyers. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's all over. Like it's seriously because like we train you know Fortune 100 companies all the way down to SMB, all the way down to individual salespeople who sell anything you can think of that might sell a freaking blue Yeti microphone that I've got here. Okay. It's everything, everything that's sold, but like you're, we're attracting, like, you know, I, I know personally from just Instagram reels, we've already had, like, we had a big company. That's like one of the biggest insurance companies in the United States that just booked me for a keynote. Plus to have like 4,000 of their salespeople train from our virtual training platform, just off of a couple reels they saw on IG. So I think one of their VPs of sales saw it and it kind of got in there and then they met with our team. So it, it might even be a couple of, let's say for, in our case, like salespeople see it, they start getting in the training, they start crushing yep. it. And yep. the sales managers like, how are you selling more? Then it goes up to the chief sales officer and all of a sudden the whole company's on it. So as a business owner selling anything, like you've got to be on social media if you really want to scale in my mind. Hey podcast listeners, this is System and Soul coach Michelle Krulchek here to share a tip with you today that I give to my clients working to gain clarity and control of their businesses. The first phase of working with a leadership team starts by helping them get really articulate with the vision, mission, and values of the business. It's about getting everything out of their heads and aligned as a team. But the real magic happens when an organization puts in the same time and energy into pulling it through the rest of the organization. You help everyone clearly see what you can see and clearly understand their part in helping make it all happen. With clarity comes excitement, engagement, commitment, and probably the most important thing of all, trust. Mind you, it's easier said than done, but it pays off in spades when it happens. I hope you find this tip helpful. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, number three. Number three, I even wrote this down for you. Um, and I talked a little bit about it with number one. It's just, it's like, it's hiring the right team members. You know, we kind of talked about this, but me and my, my CEO or our executive staff, we're always thinking, okay, who do we need to expand with? What are we missing? You know, like now we're like, okay, we need a general manager that just sets in the office and makes sure all of our projects get done. 
because as we've grown so much, like in the last, when we won that big award with Inc. 5000, we, we grew like 500 or 600%. And it was so rapid. It was so freaking rapid that we were just trying to catch up. You know, it was like we had yep. to shut yep. some stuff off because we were growing too fast. And so we're like, okay, so I think as a business owner, you have to think like, you have to look at your growth and you have to think like, okay, so how do we have the infrastructure to be able to handle the growth? Because a lot of times I have these great ideas. So I'm not the CEO anymore. I step down. I'm just the, the chair guy or whatever, the founder. But I'll have these great ideas. I'm like, hey, let's start this placement part of the company because we have all of these employers that come to us and they're like, hey, we want to hire salespeople that are going through your training. Yeah. So it's like, hey, let's have a, a recruiting side of the company. My CEO is like, dude, that's a great idea. But like, we don't have the infrastructure to be able to handle that yet. So we can't do that for another year. And I'm thinking like, no, like people want it now. Let's just do it now. And he's like, no, we have to <laughs> this person, this person, this person hired. We, he's like, you're going to blow the thing up. Like you can't go too fast. So sometimes it's like slowing down so you can really start to scale. So I think that's that's been a big thing on our mind for sure. I think as a business owner, you have to. Yeah, but but going back to who do we bring in to do this? Not how do we do this? And that's the force multiplier because you're never going to be smarter than yourself unless you get somebody else to, to take it over. So I agree. And I think that's a, a big thing, you know, is like, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, when you first get into your business and, and it, a lot of times it's just, it's just how you have to do it, but it's like you bootstrap everything, right? So like you're, you're the business owner. You're also doing this. You're also running operations. You're also doing some of the sales. You're doing some of the marketing. And it's like, you're not very talented at that stuff. I hate to tell you, nobody is 100% talented at all those four things I just listed. Yeah, okay? yeah. You're, you're probably average or suck at some of those things. You want to step into your genius of what you do really, really well and then hire really, really talented people to run those other things. And that's how you scale because, you know, I was, I was talking to uh, somebody, one of my friends the other day about politics. And I was like, I don't really blame a president for things that go bad or wrong, I would look at more of who their team is. Because mm. it's not just one guy or girl that's responsible for things that are bad or good. It's their whole freaking team. That's like saying the CEO of JP Morgan, oh my gosh, that CEO is the best CEO, whatever. Hey, he's probably is. But if he didn't have the right team around him, there's no way his company would be that big. So you look at like the whoever the president is or prime minister of the country or whatever, that's just the, like the, the figurehead. Right. Yeah. But who's running the economy? Like who's running the transportation? Who's running this department? And you have to have the right people in those places for you to be ultimately successful. It's not just one person. So if I could paraphrase what you just said, the most important role of the CEO is his picking of his generals. I, I agree. Because if you don't have great generals, right, you don't you don't win the war. It, it would be like World War Two, right? If we didn't have like Patton and yeah, the great generals and we had somebody else could have lost. Yeah, you know? for sure. so it's, it's so important when you're when you're trying to scale a company because you can have the greatest product or services ever. But if you don't have the, the right team around it, you're just not going to go where you really could. Yeah. And that's yeah. one thing we just kind of had to learn the hard way the first year or so. Jeremy, I would not be uh, a good host of the show if I let you off here without talking us through your NEPQ methodology. Would you mind doing that? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of people ask us about that. So, I think probably the easiest thing for me to do is break it down into like three parts. So, like if you're an entrepreneur listening to to us right now, or you're a business owner, or you know, C level executive, or 
whoever you are, salesperson, whatever. I know you get a lot of people that, that listen to your show. There's in, in behavioral science, there's three forms of communication. Okay, so I'll just break it down the easiest as I possibly can. All right. So because then you'll be like, oh, I'm in this, I'm in, I'm in this form. I should be over here. It'll kind of make a little bit more sense to you. So and I and I would write this down because once you understand the differences of persuasion, like your sales ability, like once you understand where you're at in your current sales ability yeah. compared to where you could be, it, it'll completely change everything for people. So the first mode of selling, it, it's called like in terms, it's called era one, ERA era one type of sales. Now I'm not going to give the scientific term because it wouldn't make sense to a lot of people, but I want you to imagine your mind like Benji, if I said, what's the first image that comes to your mind when I say boiler room selling, what would be the image that would come to your mind? Man, the guy like on the phone, tons of people around, yeah. you know, like the, the movie. Like the Wolf on Wall yeah. Street shirt, yeah. right? That's what you think of, right? That's kind of what boy the that's kind of what the first era of selling is, right? So we're the least persuasive, the least persuasive according to the data, the science, when we tell people things or we attempt to dominate them, posture them, manipulate them, push them into some doing something we want them to do. It's like like I said, Wolf on Wall Street. Now I'm sure Jordan Belfort, the guy that, that Leo portrays, is probably a Probably a good person, but it's Hollywood. Maybe it's portrayed even worse than what it was. I have no idea. But it's like they get on the phone like, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. Yeah. And we talk about the features and benefits of what we do and why they need to buy. And we got a special promotion and why they need to go with us. And we talk down about our competitors. And it's just like if you tell your spouse that they really, really need to do something for you. And then you keep <laughs> pushing them to do it. What do they do back? Push back. Push back. It's just human behavior 101, right? I always find it funny when governments try to push people or like force mm. somebody to mm -hmm. do something. I'm like, do you not understand that human beings for the most part are just going to push back when you try to make them do something? That's just the way our DNA is as humans, right? So a couple of different ways of the least persuasive way to sell. Presenting. Okay, believe it or not, we are all taught you have to have an amazing presentation. You've got to have the the 60 to 90 minutes worth of slide deck, you know, slide after slide where we talk about here's our corporate office and, you know, here's our nice boardroom and we've won this triple A rating from the Better Business Bureau. We've got all the customer service awards and we've got the best this and we've got the best that, which by the way, doesn't every single salesperson say or company say they have the best product or service? Who on here? Has ever had somebody try to sell them something and say, you know what, Benji, yeah, we have the fifth best service on the market. <laughs> Nobody does, right? <laughs> Everybody says they have the best. So because of that, what goes on in our brains, because prospects hear that day in and day out. It's like watching The Bachelor, right? You watch The Bachelor show at the beginning, the host comes out at the beginning of every season. Welcome to The Bachelor, the most dramatic season the most this season that you've ever seen, folks. And I'm like, I think you guys have said that like for 20 years. Like nobody believes that anymore, right? So it's like when we say things like that, that we have the best this or best that, and we talk down about our competitors, psychologically, it actually causes our prospects to trust us less, okay? So according to the data, it's not very persuasive if your presentation is more than 10% of your entire sales process. The average salesperson, it's about 50%, which is insane, okay? Telling your story, hate to tell you this, nobody cares about your story when you're selling one-to-one. -one. Whose story do they most care about? Theirs. Their story, right? Giving a sales pitch, right? We've all been taught, you gotta give a great pitch, according to the science, very low on the persuasion ball. You ever watched uh, Shark Tank with, on CNBC? Sure. So watch the entrepreneurs, they come out, they're all excited, ready for the pitch. 
Watch the shark's body language when they start going in for the pitch. Watch Damon, watch uh, Mr. Wonderful, Barbara. You, they're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And you're Mark Cuban, like, you got to stop the pitch. We even have shirts for our clients now that says hashtag ditch the pitch, okay? Uh, assuming the sale, okay, according to the data, very low on the persuasive pole, especially if you're in a more complex selling environment that requires multiple calls and touches. So that's the first mode of selling, boiler room selling. Second mode, I'll just break it down in like terms people would understand, would be consultative selling. We've all heard of consultative selling. That's air sure. two type of sales. Came out in the 80s with a, a lot of books, but one book a lot of people might know called Spin Selling yep. by a professor, Neil Rackham, where they taught that you needed to ask, you needed to ask, here's the revelation, you need to ask questions to find out the needs of the client. Well, you know, whoa, oh my gosh, I can't believe, I need to ask questions. But logical-based questions. What's the downfall of that approach when you only ask logical-based questions to your clients to find out their needs? Well, they're gonna give you logical-based answers back. So we call that surface-level questions, and you're gonna get a surface-level answer back. And do human beings buy on logic or emotion? 100% emotion, brain studies show that. So, you know, questions you never want to use if you're in sales. You don't want to say, oh, John, can you tell me two problems that's keeping you awake at night? Get rid of that question. Everybody ask it like they know what you're doing. Or when you get on a sales call or you come into an office, you're like, how's your day going, Jim? Like nobody, everybody knows that you genuinely are not interested in how their day is going. So all you're doing is triggering sales reasons because they know what you're doing. Like yeah. it's not like 10,000 other salespeople have not asked them the same question, right? So we want to stay away from consultative. It's more persuasive than boiler room selling, but you're starting to play the numbers game because very little emotion is brought out by simply asking logical based questions because you're getting surface level answers back and people don't make decisions on logic, right? Third mode of communication, okay, we're the most persuasive. That's called dialogue. The third mode is dialogue. So we're the most persuasive when we allow, when we get other people to persuade themselves. Now that's when we ask, where you were asking me, what are called neuro-emotional persuasion questioning. Okay, so the question people always ask me, Jeremy, how do I get how do I get somebody to persuade themselves? So it's like the $10 million question. Okay, do I just do I just show up to the call and say, hey, Mr. Prospect, you know, go ahead and persuade yourself. Else, <laughs> you know, you can send the funds in. No, we have to ask, we have to learn specific skilled questions that work with human behavior, okay, that trigger the prospect to want to engage, to want to open up in a step-by-step -step structure that will get them to pull us in, okay, and sell themselves rather than us trying to force it on them. You with me on that? Yeah. Bunch of boring nerd stuff, I know. No, this is, I mean... One of the reasons that sales fascinates me, and it sounds like the reason you got into it, it, it goes to our innermost, deepest human biology. 100%. It is. And selling has been around forever. Like people think like, oh, you know, sales, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, it's been around forever. I was like, do you ever read the Bible? They're like, oh, yeah, I read the Bible. Like, hey, book of Revelations. The apostle John said that there, before the earth was created, that there was a war in heaven. Right. The war in heaven, you know, a third of the host of heaven went with Satan's plan. Everybody else went with God's plan. I was like, you ever think about that war? Was it a war fought with guns? Was shooting each other up there or wherever heaven's at, whatever dimension? I don't know. Were they tanks, guns, shields? No. 
It was a war of words. It was a war of persuasion. So persuasion has been around, I would say, for millions of years. So that's how persuasion communication is what's responsible for stopping wars. I mean, there's so much there. Like, and that's why I see like politicians. I'm like, they're so bad at communication. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. this is why wars happen because of egos and they can't communicate. That's exactly why wars happen. 100% of the time. On that depressing note. <laughs> right, I know. You've got to train those politicians better. I, I don't disagree with that. Jeremy, it's been fun hanging out. Uh, when does the book come out? Yeah, the book will be out in the fall. I think it's supposed to come out in like no, uh, October, November, the fall of uh, 2022. So awesome. The new model of selling to an unsellable generation. Where should people connect with you so they make sure they know when it comes out or if they're interested in hiring you, knowing more, following you? You're everywhere, but we can go on our reels on Instagram and TikTok now, apparently. <laughs> yeah, you can. We're all over Instagram, it seems like forever. Um, <laughs> the best way, like if they want to get some resources to find out what we do, yeah. uh, just have them go to our Facebook group. We got about uh, eighteen or 19,000 people in there that are just like probably your listeners. They're C-level executives, they're entrepreneurs, they're business owners, they're salespeople, just wanting to sell more, learn how to do it the right way. So you can have them go to our one of our website groups. It's free. They can go to www.salesrevolution.pro. Yeah, so just have them go to salesrevolution.pro, salesrevolution.pro. Um, right when they join, have them, uh, so everybody listening, check your, face, check your messages on Facebook because somebody in my team will message over to you a free training that we just put together for, for you guys on this podcast. Free training called the 101 uh, NEPQ 101 mini course. Cause I know we didn't have time to go through like specific questions today. And it'll be a list of different questions and how to ask them that my uh, CEO, Matt Ryder put together that will help you in different sales situations that we know you're probably in guys uh, to sell more. So they're welcome to get that free product. And we go live in that group three to four times a week with different trainings, different Q and A's uh, B2C sales, B2B sales. I mean, we train 160 plus industries at this point. So they're welcome to go there if they want to get some, sources on how to sell more man uh, a topic for another conversation another day but i was it just clicked in my mind how you know i've i've been thinking through working through how we have to take this world of recruiting talent right now and think about it like marketers but how applicable what you were just talking about about the the dialogue selling approach needs to enter into the world of recruiting talent uh not just selling our goods and service, but in today's, you know, what's the number one problem people are wrestling with right now? Maybe inflation, but for sure hiring talent. It's because they don't know how to recruit. Yeah. That, you know, recruiting simple. You, you're asking questions to find out the prospects or who you're trying to hire, what their current situation is, right? Where they really want to be. Okay. We call that here's their current state, their situation current, currently right now. Here's where they want to be. We call that their objective state. Yep. What's the gap in the middle? The gap in the middle is only determined by the skilled questions you ask that help them see how far away they really are in their current situation. And like we said at the very beginning, it's getting that recruit to see that it's far more risky for them to stay where they're at, do nothing at all, and nothing ever changes than it is to start working for your firm and actually getting where you want to go, like which is more risky. So all sales is, is just about change. Like if you, if you describe sales in one word, it's change. 
It's about how good you are getting them to view in their mind that by changing their situation, working for you, is far less risky than doing nothing at all and staying in the status quo. So it's just about change. That's it. I love I love that perspective. That's that that alone is is really really helpful. Jeremy, thanks for your time today, your insight, your wisdom, all of your experience. Congrats on uh, growing that company and and all the uh, ideas in your head that are yet to come. As soon as your organization's ready, I can't wait to see what happens. There you go. Thanks for having me on, and uh, thanks for even doing it while I was traveling today. I, I appreciate. It. I'm glad the internet worked here where I'm where I'm at. So yeah, man, enjoy your vacation. <laughs> <I'm not working. laughs> All right, brother.